Hello, and welcome back to the Wishing You All podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Amy Albero, founder of Revive Center for Wellness. And I'm Catherine Van Eyck. We're both licensed therapists and wellness enthusiasts. We know how overwhelming it can be to figure out how to navigate your wellness journey. So each episode, we hope to bring all of the pieces together to help you figure out what fits best for you. This week on Wishing You Well, we have a returning special guest, Revive CFO, Chris. Chris is back after an amazing episode where he talked about some key practices in financial wellness. But today, we're going to be discussing with him the nuances of navigating finances when you're in a relationship, because that can get really, really confusing. We're collaborating with him a lot in this ap- in this episode, as there's not a one-size-fits-all approach to managing finances with your spouse or your partner. Before I go any further, because I, I could really get into it here, um, we do have some announcements. Yes, uh, lots of exciting things coming your way soon at Revive um, in the group's uh, space. But, you know, we wanted to share with you why we love groups so much. Um, groups are such a great starting point if you are thinking about therapy or if you're new to therapy, because they can really help you ease your way into the process and actually can be more affordable than doing individual therapy. Um, but if you are in therapy, groups are a really nice complement to the work that you're doing with your therapist because it's a more focused and discussion-based environment than a therapy session. But either way, we love groups so much because we value community at Revive. And when we have community, we feel so much less alone with what we're facing. And oftentimes when we're going through something difficult, we feel really isolated and groups really help us with that. One of the great parts about our groups is that they're facilitated by some of our amazing therapists here at Revive. So they do them in person and virtually throughout the year. So far this year, we've had a stress reduction group for college students, an open group for moms, and there's so much more to come. So definitely stay tuned for more information about our upcoming groups, like one for senior citizens and another for empty nesters. But we'll have all of the details on that, on both of them, as soon as possible. Have you been watching Reactivity TV, which is our bonus weekly podcast that we release each week exclusively on our YouTube channel? If you're not, um, get to it because odds are whatever trending show is out, we have been all over it with our therapist perspective. Every week, Catherine and I commentate on shows like The Bachelorette, which comes back this Monday. So you know we will have reactions to that first night in the mansion. Besides the Bachelor franchise, there's so much to watch and so much to react to. And we are always looking for suggestions on what show we should cover next. So let us know what show you'd like us to give our therapist reactions to by sending an email to wishingyouwell at revivecfw.com. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you for listening and thank you for following, rating, and reviewing. We do have a review today that we'd like to share. This one is from Des8228. They said, fantastic insights. Amy and Catherine are truly gifted at bringing real insight, understanding, and new perspectives to a variety of daily mental and emotional challenges. I highly recommend this podcast. Enjoy. Thank you, Des. That was so nice. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your feedback, and we truly love having the opportunity to talk about everything that we get to talk about and bringing you this great information. So, 
please continue to give us these reviews. We really love to read them. We love to see what kinds of ratings you're giving us. It really helps us out. So thank you. All right, let's get into our episode. Living, living, old and well, life is put together. We feel it. Take care care of ourselves. Okay, Chris, welcome back. We're so excited to have you back. And I'm sure the listeners are really happy to have you back because your episode was one of the most listened to episodes of all of our podcasts. And it really speaks to how eager our listeners are to be financially well, learn more about finance. So thank you for being back. Well, thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. Um, and it's it's nice to hear that uh, people found value in, in the first podcast. So hopefully we can uh, you know keep that rolling and bring them some additional good quality information. Yes. Yeah. Did you know? Did you know already that you were one of the most listened to episodes? I, I did not. No, I, um, you know, typically when I talk, uh, people's eyes glaze over. So I just assume that that's, you know, what is going to happen with the podcast too. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that people liked it, enjoyed it and uh, have been listening to it. Cool. Yes. Yes. Well, if you haven't listened to Chris's um, debut episode of our podcast, we will make sure to, to reference it or link it in our show notes so you can take a listen. But in that first episode that he was on, he um, really broke down some financial advice myths that many of us have experienced and really gave us a great and quick and thorough education around finance. So go check that out if you haven't already. But we are here today because we we notice as therapists and just as people <laughs> That um, that when we are working with people who are in a relationship, often the topic of finance comes up and it can get really complicated. And, um, and so we had thought it would be a great opportunity to invite you on and help help us maybe understand a little bit better about how to guide our clients who are in relationships or if, if our listeners are in a relationship and they're trying to figure this out for themselves give some tools or and insights that can help them feel more competent and more empowered as it as it relates to finances in their relationship. So why do you think it is like from your perspective as like an economist as someone with a financial background why why do you think it is so tricky or so complicated as it relates to finances and relationships? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh I think there's a there's, it, you could spend a lot of time breaking this down. Um, but at a, kind of a high level, I think that individuals, uh, as individuals, we all have very different um, opinions and experiences with respect to money and finance. Um, and oftentimes people are very bad at understanding and communicating their own experiences. Um, you, you know, we all carry that baggage with us. And we make a lot of assumptions about how other people should be perceiving money. And oftentimes in relationships, there's just not there. People are, are nervous or they're anxious about money. And so it's one of those topics that does not actually get discussed or talked about um, at, as much as it should um, before you get into a committed relationship, before you get married, before you move in together. Um, and as a result, you, you really are, uh, you kind of discover on the fly um you know 
certain values about an individual and priorities about an individual that you didn't necessarily see ahead of time. Um, and you experience them through their spending and financial habits. Um, and that uh, can be quite kind of jarring and quite shocking for people. Um, and I think that's kind of one of the, the, the big reasons why it comes into conflict so much. You know, the good news is that you know, if you are communicating and discussing and kind of understand what to tease out and what to ask ahead of time, you really can avoid a lot of conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, not to get too far ahead of things, but um, one really interesting statistics around um, divorce in this country is that um, outside of irreconcilable differences, which is kind of like a just catch all, um, finance is the number one reason why people in polling say that they're getting divorced. Um, that's actually not true in reality, though, right? It's that finances um, are the vehicle by which people fight. And it's kind of the easy thing to check the box on that everyone can relate to. But when you really dig down and when you do you know, various different studies and surveys and, and you really dig into the, to the, the data and start asking more comprehensive questions, you find that in almost all cases, uh, the conflicts of finance are really just sitting above the surface and bringing out conflicts that are related to other things, other values and other priorities. It, it's uh, it's this kind of interesting uh, continuity within a relationship that both breeds conflict, but also covers other conflicts. Mm. Yeah, I, lo- I love that you said that. I love because we see as therapists all the time that people may come in with certain issues or, or like common arguments that they might have and it could be around finances and money but when we dig deeper when we talk to our clients about the true nature of what's really going on it's not it's not always about money there's so much more to it and yeah so you're right that's just like across the board mm-hmm. right it's yeah like, sometimes, sometimes it's um like we we think of it as like sometimes a symptom of maybe a deeper um, issue or a deeper challenge or problem. So I think that um, it, it's interesting to hear your perspective on it from from not a, from the non mental health side that that is um, statistically like what the what the data shows. Um, but I, I want to get back to something that you you started to say, which is around the the communication around money and and things like that. And as you were talking, it was making me think of our kind of our, our first um, episode that you were on, uh, where we were kind of talking about all of the different feelings that people have about money and why money is so complicated on an individual level. And then we add in kind of another person who brings their own stuff um, along with it. But we're also told as like a society that there are three things that we should avoid talking about at all costs, which are money, religion, and politics. And so it feels like talking about money is such a taboo thing. And so like getting on the same page seems really important to do. And yet at the same time, we're sort of like instructed that this is just something that we don't talk about. It's interesting you bring that up because this is one of those situations where people hear something and they over extrapolate, right? You're not supposed to talk about those things when you're at a cocktail party, when you're at a birthday party, when you're at an event, you absolutely 100% are supposed to talk about all three of those things when you're on a date. 
when you know and the earlier the better see it doesn't matter what type of relationship we're talking about here it can be a romantic relationship it could be a business partnership it could be you know any sort of relationship where you are opting into this voluntarily all of these types of relationships have to be founded on shared values right and what do shared values mean those are individually we all have different values right we like to say as a wider community as a country we have a certain core set of values you know um once you dig down you know on the kind of the state and regional levels you know we have you know kind of different values depending if you're in the northeast versus if you're in the southwest um, but and then you get down to your boil it all the way down to your family, right? Where your family has to be run with a with a core set of values. And one thing that is kind of really eroded over the last fifty or sixty years in this country is this concept of talking about values, making sure that we share a fundamental set of values. Um, and there's nothing more uh, core to to a person than kind of understanding where they are with respect to their spending habits where are they with respect to their you know political beliefs and where are they with respect to their um religious beliefs these are all core fundamental factors of what make us who we are and what makes us and drives us into how we think about the world and the type of partner that we're looking for whatever kind of partner that is um and so much of that has gotten lost and so much of that is what also generates conflict um, if you don't share values with somebody, then you will not be successful. It does not matter what kind of relationship it is. You're not going to be successful in that relationship. So the question then just becomes is really the question is how do I tease out without being too overt about it? How do I determine if this person's spending and financial values and priorities are similar enough to my own without it? feeling like I'm, you know, uh, maybe digging a little too deep or getting too, too personal or being judgmental. Um, and there are, there are definitely some tricks to do that. Um, but there, but it does take a little bit of understanding of like, what is it that I value first? And then once I figure out how to value that, how do I, you know, pull that information out of somebody before I go ahead and marry this person or even move in with them or certainly have a child with them or something like that. Long so answer. you're basically saying that like not enough or people aren't having these conversations enough before getting into serious relationships that they are diving into living together, being, being committed for years on end, getting married and they're not, they're not even making this connection through all 100%. of that. Yep. And, and, and it's not just on finance. It's on a wide range of, of, of other things. Like I said, finance, finance is used as kind of a crutch to, to, to cover up other um, issues where people, you know, don't share values and they, you know, they, it, it comes out in financial ways. Um, but yeah, you know, there's never, if you have chosen to say, go on a date with somebody, it's never too early to start trying to figure out if you share values with that person. But how? Um, and, like you're and there on a really first what date? Is. What are you supposed to do in your from your financial uh opinion? Um <laughs> well you know there's a lot there's a lot that you just be aware of, right? Um so I don't want to get too far ahead. You know, if you're on a first date, you're certainly going to ask somebody about their background. Um, and there's a lot that people can answer about their background that will tell you 
um, can give you some hints about you know where they were. If somebody grew up in Fairfield, Connecticut, where we all are, um, that tells you a little bit more about their likely economic status than somebody who you know grew up in uh, you know say uh, Mexico or grew up in Bolivia or grew up in the UK, right? So you already have a starting frame of reference that, and then you just kind of can be aware as you ask questions and, and work through these these conversations with people. Hey, can I can I tell you something? I'll, I'll give you an anecdote. I'll give you an example of something that really rubbed me yeah. the wrong way with a family member. <laughs> so a family member of mine went out on a first date and the person that they went out on the date with said, I, I really like wine. So I'm going to order this bottle of wine. And didn't really say like, is this, well, actually, no, she did say, is this okay with you? Um, which bothered me because she just assumed that he was going to be paying for it. And, but also what are you doing buying the most expensive bottle of wine on this menu on your first date? To me, that should exactly. have said red flag to my family well, member. Well, th but there's a perfect example, right? Where exactly like you're on a date relatively early in the dating process. She has clearly stated to the individual she's on the date with, which, you know, that, you know, how she views money um, and what her expectations are with, with respect to gender roles within the relationship. And those are core values. That's important to know. And, you know, it doesn't matter whether or not he agrees or disagrees. If he disagrees, he can, you know, not take a second date. If he does agree, great, they have a second date, potentially, right? Um, it doesn't matter what the other person's values are. Um, and there's no need for somebody to be insulted if they don't share the values. But that's what you're trying to tease out is, okay, she engaged in this specific set of behaviors. Does that align with what I'm looking for? And if the answer is yes, great. If the answer is no, then okay. You know, like that's, that's a kind of a concern um, that you need to kind of resolve and work through before you take more serious steps. Um, but that's a great example, right? Nobody in, is inherently doing anything wrong in that scenario, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think it is, it is wise. Like, it's so funny as we're talking about this, I was thinking about like in as therapists, like in in the therapy room, we're thinking about we're we're listening to like what is being said, like what is the words coming out of someone's mouth, but we're also observing other behaviors to help us really understand a, a person um and um and kind of like what 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 makes them up, right? And and it sounds like that's what these examples are pointing to that we like in order to see if we have similar values, especially in, in a financial um, aspect of things, like we really should be like trying to be mindful of like maybe little cues and clues that we might gather um, to learn more about this stuff early on um, rather than like being completely caught off guard and, and surprised later on. Well, and it seems like you can like gather clues, like you're saying, like, gather some evidence it doesn't have to be a very obvious direct conversation necessarily like tell me your credit score yeah. <laughs> exactly right and, and that's exactly how much money do you make on, yeah early on it's going to be a lot more inference and a lot more about um you know teasing things out through behavioral patterns and then once you get 
a little bit more serious and you've had real true serious conversations uh, about things like, you know, are we going to have kids or do you, you, you want kids or, if, you know, once you've gotten to that point, you should be at a level where you can have a conversation about finances, right? But I, I guess, um, I guess what's it like an important takeaway based on what you're saying is like in order for, for people to, to maintain a level of like independent financial wellness, but also like financial wellness as in a relationship or even as a family, um, like we, we shouldn't be waiting to look for these like signs, signals, cues. Like if, if we want to remain financially well, like we, we should be looking for these things. And I think that's maybe a trap that people fall in. Like, ah, like we're just like still getting to know each other. Like this stuff doesn't matter, but it sounds like what it's you're not saying, romantic. Yeah. And it's not romantic. Of course, like the finance and the romance don't, don't always go hand in hand. Um, but it sounds like what you're saying is to kind of like delay even thinking about finance um, as it relates to the person you're sitting across from um, could could have negative uh, consequences. Yeah, and, and because a lot of people have this perception that somehow the financial piece is something that you'll learn and train out of somebody or get them to do what you want to do. Um, but what's discounted in that concept is that um, we, as I kind of said earlier, um, we bring so much kind of emotional baggage and psychological baggage with respect to finances because of how we were brought up in our life experiences um that there really is a massive massive psychological component to finance that is discounted you know that people just sort of brush aside and don't really consider and think about it's actually very 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 difficult to get people to change their perception of money because their perception of money is oftentimes rooted in their entire upbringing right there you know what what how your your parents handled money how much money was available do you have an abundance mindset or do you have a scarcity mindset with respect to it you know did you you know live in a household where you had massive christmas presents every year or were you one in a household where you were lucky to get one um or any you know or you just never had it right the the all of this is wrapped up in in how we will view finance now and it's not as simple as hey budget and spend a little bit less money on that x thing um you really have to drive all the way down and dissect into a, a person's entire psychology um and that that's your field not mine but i would imagine that is not an easy uh, or trivial thing to do um for a trained professional uh let alone for somebody who's just hoping that 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 this is going to be a, a partner of theirs, uh, you know, and somebody they might be able to marry and have a family with or or have a life with. Um, so that that's I think also another really important piece that people don't understand um, is that why a piece why the shared values teasing them out early is, is so 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 important is because it's hard to change the core values of who somebody is. Um, and you have to understand that the financial aspect is absolutely 100% um, a reflection on the core values of the individual. Let's fast forward a little bit. So say like we're we're past the, the, the initial dating stage and you're now in a committed relationship and there are so many questions around like, okay, so what do we do with our money? Um, or is it our money? Or should we share finances? Should Should we not? Should we keep things separate? Like, is there is there an answer like that is 
across the board true? Or is this one of those, it, it depends or, or somewhere in the middle? Uh, it's it's definitely, an, it depends. So there, there's a lot to, to um, kind of break apart here. Um, but it again, starts with your shared values. Why are the shared values so important? It's because fair as a concept um, doesn't exist in reality, right? It's sort of this intangible concept that doesn't actually exist because fair is extraordinarily subjective. Um, and oftentimes what one person finds fair is not what another person finds fair. And so the only way you determine what is fair in how you decide to allocate your resources um, is if you share a common set of values, goals, and priorities, because um, if you don't share those, you'll never agree on a concept of fair, right? Um, fair is one of the worst words in the English language because it is used as, you know, uh, as this uh, tangible, you know, discrete concept when in fact it's really, it's so individual um, to each one of us. Um, but before you even get to all of that, the first question you really need to always be asking yourself is, um, you know, why do people combine finances in the first place? This is one of those things where people just do it because they're told like, oh, you know, you, you get in a committed relationship. This is just something you do. You get married, you have all joint everything. You put your both names on everything and you just do it. But like very few people stop and ask like, but why? Like, what are you actually gaining by combining finances? And do those, you know, pros outweigh the potential cons, right? So, um, so why, like, what, what are you actually getting by combining finances? Um, there's a couple things. The first thing is it makes for beneficiary related stuff easier, right? If one person, you know, uh, at, you know, time is going to get all of us when one person, uh, their, their time expires before the other one, it makes it very clean and easy where all the resources go, where all your money goes, where all your assets go. That is actually um, very, very nice because dealing with that externally uh, is, is expensive and time consuming and annoying. And then you get taxed every which way um, on that money. It makes it a lot easier to deal with joint expenses and things of that nature. Um, it deals, it makes it a lot easier to deal with kind of things that really should be jointly owned and are joint assets. Um, and it really can create a lot of transparency with respect to what you actually have, right? Once you've combined finances, everybody within the union could basically look and say, oh, that's what I got. That's what I got. And now it can easily be audited, right? So what are the downsides and drawbacks? Why would people not want to combine their finances? Um, well, a lot of it is actually, um, you know, kind of related to um, inheritance law and things like that. But um, interestingly enough, uh, assets pass to a beneficiary, but liabilities don't. What does that mean? It means if you have a million dollar house and a million dollar in credit card debt, um, your million dollar house will pass to, you know, if the, if the man dies, it'll pass to his wife. Um, but that credit card debt won't. So she'll walk away with a million dollar house and no credit card debt if they have separated finances. Um, so those are some things to really consider why you may not want to completely join your, your finances because, you know, the assets stick around, the liabilities go away. What, what about, you know, 
some things being combined and still maintaining like some independence or, or like separation with financing. Like, I mean, obviously people do that all the time. Like, is that, (laughs) what do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, this is where, this is where, um, it starts to kind of come together and like how, you know, we talked about kind of the concept of fair, like what is fair, right? And and ultimately, um, what I like to say is um, fair is the arrangement that gets you to your shared life goal, right? And so let's back up for a second. I haven't talked about a life goal yet. Like, a lot of people come in, they say, hey, I hear that we got a budget and we got to make like a financial plan and all this other stuff. That is true, but it is kind of incorrect. Um, you do not start when you are a couple moving to the next stage and want to want to consolidate, you know, and, and um, finance and stuff. You don't actually start with a financial plan. You start with a life plan. And the life plan is what kind of life do we want to live together? Right. And this comes back to understanding shared values. It's something it's sometimes simple as, um, you know, the kind of the the required things. Where are we going to live? Do we want to have kids? How many kids do we want to have? Do we want to send those kids to private school? And those are all important things to kind of talk about and understand. But there's also the secondary piece. And that secondary piece is how many vacations do we want to take? Where do we want those vacations to be? What kind of cars do we want to drive? Do we want to start a business at some point in the future? There's the practical utilitarian things that you need to talk about. But then there's also the, what is the life I want? Do I want to have a second home? Do I want to, you know, uh, you, you know be able to go and spend, you know, $5,000 on collectibles um, every single, you know, month or whatever? Um, once you determine what your life plan is, where you want to be, then you use that to inform your financial plan, right? And your financial plan and your life goals inform what you're going to do with respect to a um, with respect to a carve up of assets. How do you combine? How much do people pay? Because um, the, 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 the universal answer that is true. If you are looking for one sentence, one answer, what is true and fair and what is the right thing for everybody to do um, with respect to carving up the finances, that one sentence is you do what is in the greatest service to your life plan. It's as simple as that. But that also requires you to have the life plan. Um, And that life plan is also obviously teased out by understanding the common shared values and all of the other good stuff. Um, so, so are you are you saying that as long as it goes along with somebody's life plan, that whether they choose to have joint finances or have something something separate, something's not, or have everything separate, that as long as it goes along with that life plan, um, and they're in t- being intentional about it, then whichever way that they want to go about it works for them. In in essence, so let me give you a quick anecdote. Um, I had a friend of mine who won $50,000. He was not wealthy and most of his friends were not wealthy. This was many years ago. Um, He had $50,000 burning a hole through his pocket and he wanted to go and do fun stuff. None of his friends could afford to do fun stuff. Um, 
but he now could. And doing that fun stuff, he wanted to do it with his friends. And so the option was, I do nothing, I do it alone, I do it with people that I don't want to do it with or don't necessarily care or have a relationship with, or I pay for all of my friends and I get to go do this cool thing that I really want to do. He chose the last one. I'm just going to pay for all my friends so that I can go and do this amazing thing that I really want to do that I feel like is going to make my life better. That was the right call. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, all these people are taking advantage of you. It, 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 that might be true, but that's a different argument. The reality is that this is something that he valued and he wanted to do, and it, it brought him a tremendous amount of value doing it with his close friends. And if the only way he could do it was by paying for them, then that's that's what it is. This, and that's just a, a guy with a couple of his buddies. In a relationship, everybody should approach a, a romantic relationship this way, right? So I can use myself as an example. When when my uh, wife and I got together uh, before we married, I made about seven times what she made. Um, and, you know, we were still relatively young. She was, you know, early in her career and whatnot. Um, I wanted to do a lot of things. I wanted to go on vacation. I wanted to um, go bowling a lot back then um, before I found out she hated it. That was back when she wasn't sharing her values with me. Um, <laughs> then, um, you know, I wanted to, to do a lot of things like that. I wanted to go out and have great dinners in New York City and all this other stuff. Um, but the reality is I made seven times what she made. There was no possible way that she could contribute. And we started we started living together very quickly in our relationship, you know, within with certainly inside one year. Um, uh, so I, so I basically paid for everything and all that. And, and I'm perfectly okay with that. Why? Because I had a great time with a individual that I loved and enjoyed spending time with. And if I sat there and spent the entire time nickel and diming saying, Oh, well, you know, I put in X amount and you put in, you know, you know, basically one fifth of what I put in, um, like, did that, did that get me to ultimately the goal? Did that, did that, you know, allow us to do the fun things that we did and have the greatest experience? Um, you know, it's, it's one thing if, you know, one individual is purposely making choices that, that sets himself in a situation where they never have to carry any weight. That's a different argument. And that comes back to a value and, uh, you know, situation and priorities. Um, but, you know, if both people are presumed coming into a relationship with good intentions, doing the best that they can, then your life plan and your financial plan and how you carve up the assets should really be reflective of what is the type of life we want to live and what carve up um, works in service the best to that life plan. In my relationship, we we have things set up where we have shared combined um, finances and then we have our, our separate accounts. And the reality is like, like most uh, couples, like we have core shared values, but we, and, and we have a lot of shared interests, but we also like, also enjoy different things. Like I do enjoy going shopping or like having a coffee and getting my nails done and all of that stuff. And, you know, my husband is more into, I don't know, he has like some hobbies that, that are a little bit more expensive that don't really kind of relate to our life plan. Both, both of us have things that like, of course are on our life plan that we are all in on. And then there are probably things that um, are on our, like our individual life plan that doesn't exist within our couple life plan, if that makes sense. And so that's like where our, 
like more independent accounts come in where like I have like the freedom to spend as much as I want on Amazon um, <laughs> as long as it fits in with my like independent financial uh, goals, but it doesn't detract from our life plan. And I think that's for me, what's like felt really helpful. And that's what's felt quote unquote fair is that like, I don't feel um, the, the, the weight of if I, if I spend this thing, spend this amount of money on Amazon, it is detracting from my ability to um, help us grow toward, toward these financial goals that, that I have. And so that's the way that, that I've been able to, no pun intended, kind of like negotiate the the shared versus independent finances. And again, like as as you know, we're saying, like it it all it all works differently. I think I think a lot of listeners might be curious though about how you decide, well, what what goes to my personal account versus what is joint together? Um, mm-hmm. so that there's is there still a level of transparency that might be there a lot more obviously when everything's together. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I feel like there's even more transparency. Um that that this isn't like money that I'm hiding or anything or like swirling right. away. It was kind of a conversation that we both had in terms of like, you know, what do you think makes sense for me to um keep keep for myself that helps me feel like I'm not needing to like borrow from our um, like join account, like to give me an allowance, so to speak, like what, what do you think will help me feel, um, kind of like fulfilled and, um, having the freedom that I want and also having this balance of, um, like kind of giving us what we want. And so it was like, it was a conversation. It was like a decision that, that we both came to. Um, and because that, that amount of money was, uh, in a sense, d- decided on so that we can still like build toward the financial goal. My, you know, my, as we talked about in our, in our values episode, like my marriage is one of my top three values. And so like all of the decisions I, I make have to make sense for my, my, one of my biggest priorities, one of my biggest values. Um, and so it was a very, transparent thing. I mean, we, we talk about as much as in the first um, episode where we had Chris on, I had said like, Ooh, like money, it's very anxiety provoking for me in, in being married to someone that is more comfortable just talking about finance and money. It's made it a lot easier for me to talk about these things and um, kind of get them out in the open. But like, there's no um, kind of secrets, I guess, as it, as it relates to, um, to the financial piece, like will boxes show up on our front porch? Um, and my husband's like, what the heck is going on? Like, <laughs> sure, that happens from time to time. Um, but it's not like he doesn't have an awareness of like what I'm doing with my money. Yeah, there's, there's so many things to, to touch on there. So, you know, I I, I like arrangements where, um, I, again, you're setting your life plan. As part of the life plan, it's determining Okay, what do I what do we think it's going to cost to do these aspects of the life plan? And the first thing you do is obviously you got to pay your immediate expenses, like just you know groceries, keep a roof over our head, whatever. And then you're deciding how much can we realistically contribute towards, or what choices and decisions do we have to make in order to hit our life plan? That could be you know, things like where I live, career choices, things like that, right? Um, going back to school or, or whatever, right? Um, and once you've really figured out, okay, how much do we need 
to execute on our life plan and be comfortable and, and have stability and, and a safety net there, then um, you kind of basically see what's left over. And that's really kind of your spending money. Um, so a question that came in after the first podcast, um, with, which I get this question a lot, and I, I probably should have gone over it a little bit in the first uh, time I was on, but somebody says, how long do you know, you say that I have to budget? How long and how granular do I actually have to keep doing this? Like, you know, me after, with all these years of experience, am I still granularly budgeting everything all the time? And here's the answer to that. You need to budget as long as it takes for you to understand and be disciplined in your spending. Um, do I budget every last penny I spend? If it's a business expense, yes, right down to the penny. If it's personal finance, um, I basically have really, you know, I've reached a point where I understand what I spend. So I budget for my major expenses. And then I've sort of just got this catch all bucket. And that catch all bucket is discretionary fund spending that Chris doesn't really have to track anymore. It's just, he knows that this is, this is money he can spend and it doesn't matter anymore. Right. But it takes a while to get to that point. Well, in a relationship, you kind of have that kind of similar situation. Once you've got your life plan and you're putting aside together, collectively saving what you need or investing or doing what you need to do to execute on your life plan, the money left over at that point, you, you have that, that's the stuff that, that really causes the, the conflict in, in relationships. Is this our money or is this, you know, each of our money independently? And that's, I think, the bigger thing, because look, you know, the mortgage is the mortgage. At the end of the day, it's got to get paid. And if one person makes significantly more than the other one, you know, practically speaking, they're probably going to end up paying more whether or not they think it's fair or not. Right. And just that's how math works. Um, but once all the expenses are paid and now they're trying to reconcile out, well, with all the money left, you know, am I the type who cares about a 50-50 split? That's what my value is. Well, that's that means that one partner may have significantly less in discretionary spending or might even be basically negative. Again, you come back to the values of an individual. Otherwise, you're always going to grow resentful. Um, and that's always a big, big concern. For couples who may, maybe are like a bit more financially strapped or or don't don't see this bigger picture, they're not looking, they're, they don't have this plan. Um, they're just falling into the, these arguments over and over again. And they're not they're not talking about it. They're just arguing about it. Um, so they're not getting down to the nitty gritty. They're not getting to the foundational points of value systems and life plans and financial plans. They're just arguing. Um, and like, I mean, I see clients like this all the time. And maybe this is, maybe this is a question for both therapists and, um, <laughs> and, and CFO, but like, where, where would you suggest or how would you suggest that they breach that kind of mm -hmm. pattern and start to have these more productive, more effective conversations? Yeah, it's actually, believe it or not, counterintuitive, um, but you actually don't talk about finance in your financial conversation. You're talking about the life goals, but when you're talking about your kind of your life goal and your life plan and like where you want to be and what you want to do, what you really shouldn't do at the start of that is actually start talking about what it's going to cost. You actually don't start talking about what it's going to cost until conversation three, four, five. 
And so if I'm in a relationship with somebody and I, we're just fighting over money all the time, the way I approach it is I come into the room, you know, I pick my time where I think there's going to be a, a, you know, good receptiveness to the conversation. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to basically say like, forget about money for a second. Can we just talk about what it is we want? Where do we want to go and what do we want to do? And like, just set, set some basic frameworks uh, around the life that we're trying to live. Forget about where we are right now. Like we can wave a magic wand and like where we want to be in say five, eight, 10 years, whatever timeline you want to go. I, I wouldn't go more than 10. I wouldn't go less than five, like somewhere between five and 10 years. What do you, where do you, where do you see us being? What do you want to do? And ignore for a second the finances mm -hmm. and just come together on that that core idea of who you are as a couple and where you're going as a couple. And once you've had that conversation, once you now share a vision, once you now have, have grounded yourself in some common, common goals and beliefs and, and structure, then you can gently start to you know, kind of step into the conversations about what do we got to do? Mm -hmm. And it's all about let's make making small steps and small changes. This is what I talked about in the first podcast, you know, um, why I hated the no, remember the, why I hate no spend months and stuff like that, because you just can't change behavior like that overnight. It just doesn't work. You have to take small steps, marginal steps repeatedly over and over and over. And once you've made, you know, one small step, and that's now ingrained in you and you're disciplined to do it. Now you make another one and another one and another one. In over five, seven, 10 years, you can put yourself in a completely different situation. It's so funny. Well, two, I had two thoughts as you were talking. One is that your answer to Catherine's question is actually really similar to what my answer was going to be. Is um, like if a, if a couple is like feeling really stressed and arguing about money, yeah, kind of like take take money off the table and um and like kind of figure out a way to get on get on the same page in terms of like like let's dream together like let's like think about our life and get excited again because like when we work with people who are in relationships and they've been fighting like sometimes they forget that they even like each other or like forget why they fell in love or whatever and so i feel like getting people to a place where they can really kind of like tap into that dream again um, helps bring people together and, and communicate in a different way, communicate in from a place of somewhere that's not stressful. And I also like that you said kind of let's first take the practicality out of it to, to be dreaming, to be engaged in, in kind of like joyfulness is so healing, um, especially when um, people are, are going through stressful time. And so I feel like, that is a really helpful way to maybe de-escalate when there might be tension around like this like topic that keeps resurfacing. But as you're also saying, Chris, it also helps give a little bit of um, a direction, gives gives something a goal that they can like work on or work toward together. Um, and and so I like that a lot. And I was also thinking as as you're talking in terms of understanding values um, and behaviors around money that and I'll ask your opinion on this, but what do you think about maybe a couple that, that might be newer, a newer relationship, committed relationship. And like, they're still kind of, they haven't combined finances. That's like not where they're at yet, but they're like, 
serious, right? Like maybe they're planning a vacation together or something. Like, what do you think about um, like setting up a financial goal for them to have together um, as a way to work, work on or work towards something together and also learn about ways that the other kind of like saves, saves money, handles money, deals with maybe a financial stressor. Like, what do you think about that? Wait, I just want to yeah. say, I love that you asked this question because I have so many people in my personal life who might be dating and in serious relationships that come, come into this pretty often, whether it's dinners or vacations or something like that, where they don't necessarily know how to navigate it, or they just kind of do it on the fly sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and then they end up like then mowing each other sometimes and sometimes not and sometimes just feeling it out um yeah so i'm curious about this answer too mm -hmm. uh, yeah it's a great question um so i'm a huge fan of putting yourselves in relatively risk-free environments to gain new understanding and knowledge right this is a theme that i have you know every time i come on here it's all about the ascertaining of additional knowledge um, and so like, uh, you, you mentioned, the um, taking a trip like that as a perfect example, because it doesn't just tell you about finances, but it also tells you a lot about the individual in terms of, you know, their anxiety with respect to travel, with respect to their ability to plan their organization skills. It also helps you envision what your life together might look like as well. There's also a bit of a privileged aspect of this where, not everybody can afford to take a trip. And a lot of people at dating age that you're dating in your 20s, um, oftentimes, and how many, you know, 20 year olds can afford to take a three or four day trip? A lot of them can't. Um, and so you do there, you know, you do have to kind of think about like, the, the trip might be a little grandiose. Um, but find things um, like that, like maybe it's, hey, uh, I want uh, to, to just like throw a cool little party for my friends. I'd love if we hosted it together as something we do together um, to kind of, you know, make it, you know, make people see us as a real legit couple, but it's going to be like a cool, fun party too. Um, but it's going to cost money. Like, you know, and maybe your partner's like, I don't care about a party. So you got to come up with something different, but you like, you get the idea, right? It's this concept of find something that's financially attainable that requires a little bit of, you know, planning and thought process, a little bit of savings, a little bit of organization, and use that to sort of tease out the behaviors. Well, to go to Catherine's question um, around like, like, even maybe it's not like having one discrete expense, like a, a party or a trip to plan for, but like the day to day, like, you know, going out on, on dates, you know, or maybe you're uh, going to a wedding together and like, the the gift for the wedding like how to like what kinds of conversations should people be having like Catherine was saying like sometimes like this happens a lot I, I hear about this in my personal life and professional life where like people are sending uh Venmo requests for like okay we went out to dinner it was 50 bucks like you know Venmo requests for 25 like is there is that a is that a like do you have a, a suggestion about like a better way to do this like if you're in a relationship um like a better way to figure this stuff out? Because these ways kind of seem a little passive, I think. I don't know if it feels that way to you, Catherine. It seems like there's there's like this rule, this unspoken rule. Um, and obviously we're talking a lot about talking about it. 
and how important it is to have these kinds of conversations and be upfront about it. Um, especially in these, in these scenarios where you're in a more serious relationship, um, that these could actually be really helpful conversations you can start having now for those bigger, more, more lifelong kinds of conversations. So if you're, these are, these are honestly like perfect opportunities to start having them. Yeah. Let's take the wedding as an example, because I think this is a really interesting um, example, Um, you know, to kind of touch on again, the values and and how you handle these things. So I'm, I'm very traditional with respect to, to relationships. Um, You know, whereas if I'm going out on a date, I'm expecting to pay. And I feel like that's, I want to pay. That's I, I, you know, I feel like I was, I, I'm, I'm doing a, the proper respectful thing. Um, that being said, um, if I'm uh, dating somebody and their friend is getting married, especially if it's somebody that I don't know, and they invite me to a wedding, my immediate expectation is, oh no, this is your thing. You're, I, I'm not buying the gift or doing anything like that. This is your thing. I'm your guest. Um, and this is like a really kind of interesting little nuance where, um, you know, while I while that's kind of the traditional thing, I think most people with with more traditional values would say, yeah, of course, whoever is the invitor is paying, um, you know, in the majority of times, right? Um, but I, I do think that um, there's there is a conversation to be had around that, right? Like, um, if you are an individual who's like, yeah, you know what, I, I want to do this thing and I really can't afford it. Um, it's okay to say that to somebody mm-hmm. um, and not just sort of like Venmo them out of the blue. Like, like if you are nervous telling somebody something, that in and of itself is information that's worth knowing, right? Mm-hmm. It's information worth considering. Why am I ner- nervous to talk about this with somebody? Is it my issue? Or is it that there's something about this person that I don't trust? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you aren't comfortable talking to somebody, and th- this is a this is a, a a philosophy that I follow for all aspects of my life, and I recommend it to everybody. If you are not comfortable talking to somebody about the specifics of what you're about to do, then you shouldn't be doing it. Period. In all aspects. That's from intimacy to finances to, uh, you know, homeownership and backyard, like whatever it's going to be. If you will not discuss the intimate details about your decision with the person that you're you're involved with or or trying to involve, then you're probably not at a stage of that relationship or comfort level where you should be doing that thing. If you can't say to the person, hey, I want to take you to this wedding. I can't afford it um, to do the whole thing myself. So if you come, you'd have to pay and that makes me feel lousy or maybe it doesn't make me feel lousy, but that, that's just the reality. Um, if you're not comfortable saying that to somebody, then you, you, you're you not at the point where you should be asking that person to go to the wedding. Well, I, I was thinking about, as you're saying this, I was thinking about, um, again, like going back to that, this question, because I guess I keep harping on it because it's such a common question, like who should be paying for dates, Right. And like, if, if I'm, if, if, you know, I, I'm the, a woman in, in, I'm, I'm, a, I'm in a heterosexual relationship early on dating. And I'm like having this question of like, Ooh, should I be paying? Who should be paying? Like, 
try, try to like take the should out of it and think to yourself, like, what do I want? Like what feels comfortable for me? Maybe I'm someone who wants to, wants to, things to be 50, 50, and I want to split every other date we swap. Or maybe I'm someone that's like, no, I believe that the man in the relationship should pick up the check um, at all times. Like to really think about like what it is that I, I want or I expect in a relationship and get comfortable with that. Um, because you'll start to notice when those values might not line up with who you're dating. And also, um, as Chris is saying, like kind of be okay with owning that, owning that as a value, owning, owning that as a standard. Um, there's a comedian that I love, um, who also gives a lot of dating, um, advice, Jared Freed. He has a wonderful TEDx, um, talk, um, called, um, who should pay for the first date. And it is really good. I mean, it's funny, light, but also like hits on some really great insights around kind of a lot of what Chris is saying in terms of like, uh, like being aware of and owning what our value and what our standard is as a leading force in dating, especially as it relates to money and dates. Um, so definitely recommend checking that out. But I think that's a place to start because I think some of these questions around what should we do with money is like, you're not thinking about what I want and what I need as it relates to me um, in like in my values and my goals um, as a person and as it relates to finance. Yeah, the, the the worst thing that you can do, especially early in a relationship, is be dishonest. Mm -hmm. And whether it's malicious or not, debating about whether or not, oh, should I pay? Should I not pay? Should I offer to pay? Should I offer to pay but hope he says no or, you know, whatever. Um, that At the end of the day, just like I'm advising you to tease out the behaviors of this individual, this whole thing falls apart if people aren't being honest, right? And so you also in kind need to be honest. And part of that honesty is in having enough self-awareness to know what is my standard? What do I value? What do I want? And let me be honest about that. Um, and if I'm honest about that, I'm going to assume that the other person is also being honest because we're here hopefully for for, you know, we're here ultimately for the same reason to try and figure out if we're a match, right? And so, yes, we're putting our best foot forward, but that also doesn't mean compromising our values or our standards at the same time. Um, and so being honest about that, as Amy was pointing out, is is so, so, so important. Um, totally taking a left turn here. Um, wanted to get to another question for you about how to deal with um, when one or maybe both um, people in a relationship enter the relationship with debt? Like what happens with that? Like any suggestions, recommendations, things to think about with that? Yeah. And not just debt, but assets, right? Okay. Anything. When, when, when the two people coming in are not on equal financial footings, um, poses all kinds of really interesting things. Again, I'm going to hit it on it again and again and again. It all comes back down to your personal values and what you individually and collectively have determined what's fair. But like from, uh, from a more concrete level, um, this is a real serious problem that happens all the time. I mean, the number of stories of somebody like, oh, you know, I went and I got married. And then I found out after the fact that person's got, you know, $30,000 in credit card debt. Um, 
I mean, the reality is that's a little bit on you because you should have asked about that, right? How? Um, and how do you ask? Um, it's, what's that? How do you ask? How do you like? How do you ask about debt? I mean, when you're getting to the point where you're going to combine finances, again, don't do anything that you wouldn't already discuss the intimate details about with the person. If you're not willing to discuss and just say flat out, like, hey, can you please provide me with all of your banks? Like, and I'm, I'm a bit serious. If you are not comfortable saying, hey, we're about to move in together, open bank accounts together and buy a house together. Before we do all that, would you please provide me with literally your credit report and all of your bank statements? Um, <laughs> now, I'm not saying you should do that. But I'm saying if you are uncomfortable doing that, then you probably shouldn't be, be, be you know, uh, actually proceeding to where you're proceeding. I want to eventually own a house and I'd like to own that house with you. But that house also, there's things like debt to income ratios and stuff like that, that I, we need to start considering. So can you give me an overview of what your current debt situation is? Um, because obviously if we're going to plan for this, um, but again, it all comes back down to the financial plan, right? It, or the life plan. I'm sorry. If you're talking about the life plan, you're already saying where you want to go. You already know. And then you start talking about the financial plan. And as part of the financial plan, you have to be asking these types of questions. And there's nothing wrong once you reach that point to just come right out and say, hey, um, you know, what is your debt situation right now? Um you definitely should be at that point before you're moving in with somebody and buying houses and having kids and getting married and, and whatnot, right? Um, these are important things, um, but it happens all the time. People just don't. And so what do you kind of do in that situation or, or what's fair with, with that? Um, again, what's in service to your, to your greater uh, life goal? Um, I, the way that, that my wife and I um, have basically chosen to whack things up is, her debt is her debt. My debt is my debt. We factor that into our monthly payments and what we have to pay. Um, but her debt was her debt and my debt was mine. Um, and this is debt incurred on the asset prior, side of things. Prior to getting married? Prior to getting married. Yeah. Well, just, yeah. Yeah. Prior to getting married. Because, you know, debt really doesn't, the, the debt's not really a big thing until you start doing. Um, we got married, then we bought a house. Mm -hmm. um, so, but uh, whichever, whatever event locks you into a mutual contract, a long-term mutual financial contract, first, you do it before that one. Whether that's a child, uh, uh, buying a house, uh, you know, or, or getting married or, or whatever. Um, those would kind of be the big three. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, that's how we chose it. But there's also nothing wrong with if it serves your life goals. If you want to buy a house and you're looking at your combined debt to income ratios and you're realizing that with all this debt on the books, you will not be able to buy a house, then guess what? It it just makes sense for the partner with no debt to or little debt to help pay off the partner with a lot of debt. Because again, your goal is to buy a house. And, and for most people, buying a house going to be one of the you know best returning assets that they're ever going to own for a lot of people not for everybody but um, and and a lot of people want to own that house and the sooner you own that house the better off you are financially overwhelmingly just from from various different economic studies so the faster you get yourself into a house 
the better off most couples will end up being. And so if, um, you know, if you can buy the house without one party paying off the other party's debt, then okay, then maybe that's that's a consideration. But if you can't buy that house and that's a goal, then then you really should consider that that fair doesn't really matter. It's it's what's in service to your long term goal. Um, you know, and, and that, that there's no right answer here. It's it's what do you want? What do you value? And sometimes it's just a matter of like, look, I don't care. My you know psychology basically says that I will not pay the debts of somebody else. Period. End of sentence. That's that is okay. You know that doesn't make you wrong. That doesn't make you mean. That doesn't make you uncaring. Um, you know, but that's also something that your partner should know about ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, that is going to frame out potentially how you you arrange your finances later on in life. Um, and as you get more serious, and what does that mean in in all these other scenarios downstream? Um, so those are important. On the flip side, the assets, same problem, just from the different angle, right? Um, when my wife and I got married, um, I came into the relationship with um, some commercial real estate. Um, we made the decision that whatever we entered the relationship with was ours, untouchable by the other party, no matter whatever happens. And what we jointly collectively owned started the moment we got married and that was it. And that, and that's, and that worked for both of us. Um, and I mean, we both thought that that was more than fair. Now it's possible that, you know, it's possible that she could have said, I don't think that's fair. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to take all these rides back and forth. I'm going to help you go collect rents and these are rental properties. I'm going to help you, you know, if you need to, to go and paint the wall, I'm going to go help you paint the wall. Um, and so I think that I should have some ownership say that is a perfectly legitimate and fair thing, but those are conversations you should be having up front. Um, and, and okay, well, what does that mean? What is, you know, what does that mean in terms of a breakout? Um, but you have to have these conversations and does that mean 50% ownership? Does that mean 25? Does that mean 10? I, you know, it, I guess it depends on a lot of factors. Um, but you really have to come together and have that conversation ahead of time. Um, and none of, this, leads into, oh, none, none of this sounds super romantic, um, as well. <laughs> I mean, so I'm going to, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I disagree. There's nothing more romantic than achieving a life goal with the person that you've chosen to spend uh, your life together with. There's nothing more romantic than, you know, the parent who just sent their third kid off to college and they now have the house to themselves after 18 years or 20 years, right? There's nothing more romantic than no. taking that second vacation, you know, to Hawaii or to Italy because you've had these conversations, you've done what you The romance in finance comes on the back end. It is the reward for great decision-making. Those big moments of accomplishment that you make as a couple will be far more romantic and will far outweigh, you know, the the all the little romantic things you could do, um, you know, that that didn't take as much effort or time, right? And it all starts with these conversations, shared values, and understanding. I think you just tied up everything really, really well there, and I think it's a wonderful place for us to to wrap up this financial conversation around relationships. But of course, you know, because you've been here before, we 
I do have one more question to ask you, and that's about self-care. So you can order an appetizer, a main course, a dessert, or a three-course meal, or more than one, whatever whatever your your stomach is telling you today. <laughs> whatever you're craving. I'm uh Yeah. So in the in the vein of finance, I'm gonna be a little bit greedy here. Um all right, so um I, most people don't realize this, but I've actually been working on a uh, a pretty big project um, that has basically three milestone deliverables. Um, and I've been working, when I say one to two hours every single day, I'm not exaggerating, for the last nine months on the second deliverable for this. Um, it's eaten up pretty much all of my free time. I haven't read a book in basically a year i haven't uh really engaged in any of my hobbies in, in you know almost two years um and i am delivering the second deliverable for this project on thursday um and i'm really excited because it's you know it's going to give me some breathing room um and i'm gonna finally have a few months off um, before i have to start the third deliverable where i will be able to actually like slow down for a second and and there's so much i'm like i've, I've already planned my two month span here um i've i'm i've already you know way of kings is a a book um a book series by uh brandon sanderson an amazing author i've been dying to read this book for years or the book series so i'm gonna read that um I've uh, I've I'm gonna go off and one of my hobbies is a uh, uh, strategic collectible card games um, and I've got like multiple uh, weeks planned to go and play that um, during the, the the two month break I'm gonna have and I, uh, I, I there's actually a really there's a it's a work project for revive um, building this thing but I'm like really excited and passionate about building this thing and yes it's a work project but I'm like so excited to build it. And this is going to finally give me two months where I can just kind of solely work on that. Um, and so that's really, it's, it's, we're recording this on Friday. So I got six days, six more days where it's going to basically be two to three hours every day, finalizing this deliverable Thursday. I delivered at noon. I get on a flight at five o'clock to Miami. Um, I'm going to spend three, four days in Miami, and then I'm going to come home and I'm going to hopefully have a tan and have like half of the first book of the series done and then it's just going to be some, some two months of hopefully chris time uh, screw a three course meal this is like a six course ten course meal i know yeah there's, there's, there's whole, all whole, of them whole, all uh, of chef's them tasting menu yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. um so i'm that's really that's where i'm at that's what i'm looking forward to it's going to be a nice mental break um after a, a long long run of you know uh, yeah, when I say I was, 400 hours is probably light on how much I've, I've worked on this. So mm -hmm. I'm I'm pretty excited to finally get a break. Yes. So nice. You deserve oh, it. I love it. Yeah. How about you, Amy? Um, well, mine actually involves Miami too, but in a different way. Um, so as the listeners know, I um, uh, have been working with a dietitian for, uh, I guess, a couple months now, and it's been so helpful. And, um, and one of the things that I had been kind of talking to her about is with all this travel, 
back and forth. I'm going back and forth to Miami at least once a month, um, sometimes twice a month. Like it really throws me off my routine and off my schedule. And now that I've kind of like figured out what's going on with me health wise, I want to try to stay as consistent as I possibly can be. And so we've been talking a lot about um, something that we also talked about on this podcast, which is um, taking care of future Amy and like being proactive and thinking about how to, um, to like still feel well, even in the midst of like a lot of transitions. And so one thing that I'm doing is um, this weekend, I'm going to make sure that I go to the grocery store. I'm going to Miami on Wednesday. Um, And so I'm going to the grocery store and making sure that I like stock my freezer with like good, like frozen, like veggies and uh, fruit for smoothies or like uh, Trader Joe's has these great turkey burgers. So like making sure that when I come back the following week and it's like in the middle of the day and I haven't had a chance to go grocery shopping, that there's like food for me to eat that like makes me feel good. And, And similar in Miami, I've already kind of um, done that. So when I get there on Wednesday, I'm not like so hungry and um, and there's nothing going on. So I've like tried to like set my future self self up for success um, in that sense. So that's feeling feeling really good. Like feeling like I um like I feel at ease. Like in in having a plan and having uh, some consistency. So yeah, thinking thinking about future Amy for my self care menu this week. That's so nice. I'm so glad you're like figuring it out. I mean, you've had so many of these back and forths mm-hmm. and now you're, you're, you're doing what, what feels good for you for later. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know how it goes, but yeah, that's what I've, because I was, I was thinking that like, usually what, what happens is I'll get either to Miami or get back home and, and there's like nothing like for me to eat. So I'm like, trying to scrape together a meal, which is like the worst thing to do when you're so hungry. Um, so anyway, what about you? What's on your menu, Catherine? I would say there's like two things. One is, um, we were actually talking about this the other day when, um, when we were, uh, recording a different episode. Um, but I have a really busy weekend and which sounds like, which everything I'm doing this weekend is really fun and I'm really excited, but it's, a lot. It's a lot. So I just am trying to be mindful of when I'm going going to be by myself, when I'm going to have time for myself um, and just trying to fit that in, and, you know, tonight, tomorrow, Sunday, um, so that I can still feel like I got a recharge over the weekend because it can sometimes feel like you don't get that when your weekend's just like packed with things. So there's that. And then the other one I heard something about a sandwich. Yes. Oh, you heard about the sandwich, did you? <laughs> I, 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 I heard, I didn't hear about the sandwich. I heard s- something involving a sandwich is important. That's mm-hmm. all I know. I, yeah, Catherine, I wanted to ask a self-care update for yeah. you. When we, when we recorded last, you were um, telling me all about this sandwich that you've been craving since February and like you couldn't have it but you rearranged your schedule so that you can have it so tell us did you have it how was it everything remembered like please indulge us with this sandwich update i i had all my sandwich dreams come true (laughs) (laughs) 
what kind of sandwich is this? Okay, first of all, it's a wrap. Um, oh, and oh, it, it is this yellowfin tuna salad wrap with uh, avocado and cheddar cheese and lettuce sprouts. I think that's it. Um, and it's just it's packed like it's called a montauk monster because they like pack it with the yellowfin tuna and it's like delicious um probably because they're just catching it somewhere nearby i don't know if they actually do but it makes it seem like they are but Catherine, i'm so i'm so happy for you so happy your your Thank sandwich you. it was slash wrap dreams came true it was perfect first first wrap of the summer yeah first of many more <laughs> And wraps Definitely. are objectively better than sandwiches. Disagree. But I'd agree because you get like more stuff, less bread. Unless the, the bread is bread really is special. the key. The worst part of every sandwich is the bread. You're like unless I just the want bread a is really, really where good. I just wrap yeah. it in meat. <laughs> well, that, do. that'll be a that that could be a, a podcast for a different day because I am here to defend bread at all costs. Um, so, <laughs> um, but anyway, um, Chris, thanks for being here, for coming back. Um, I'm sure we'll have you back. I've still got a bunch of questions and I know our listeners will too, but thank you for being here. Um, and, um, everyone stay tuned for more from Chris, whether it's on this podcast or with follow-ups on our website and our blog on our social media page. So make sure you are um, staying tuned for more from Chris. And um, thank you. Thanks for being here. Um, if you've made it this far, we thank you for for listening, um, for following along on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, for giving us those ratings and reviews. Again, this, this was a lengthy episode and there was so much info in it. So if it resonated with you, um, give us, give us a rating, give us a review, or if you think it could be helpful to someone, make sure you are sharing it with a friend. Um, you can also check out our YouTube channel, Revive Center for Wellness, which is where we have our other, um, mini little bonus podcast, Reactivity TV up every week. And we have tons of other content from our dietitian, from other providers, just general good wellness content up on our YouTube channel. Um, also follow us on Instagram at Revive CFW. You can follow Catherine at Catherine Van Eyck, me at Amy Albero LCSW. Check out our website, revivecfw.com and send us those emails to wishing you well at revivecfw.com. But until next time, we are wishing you well. <laughs>